welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like capital ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It would mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy. If you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy, you can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions. And that means the world to me. And I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Listening to TM and, and he, he you know, brought up a, a few subjects that were interesting to me because the first one was change, right? So change management. 
And many of you don't know this, but I, I don't I don't talk about it. But I have I have an MBA from um, the second oldest business school in the world in the UK. Uh, it cost me an arm and a leg and then some fingers, and I never needed it after that. I never used it after that. No one ever asked me about it. No one ever asked me what my grades were or what I did ever, ever, ever. But my my um, project was on change management. And one thing that sticks with me from change management through all these years is it always took a structural change in order to have an abrupt change in any business in order to change the culture. And so if I apply that to a business, let's say I walk into a business that I need to turn around, which is what I did for 20 years. So I'll walk into a business, I'll look at the staff, I'll look at what's what's going on, and I will do an abrupt change physically and structurally so that they realize consciously and subconsciously, uh-oh, something's changing. So I would go into, let's say, an office, and I would take where the leaders were sitting, and I would change them with where the where the staff was sitting, and I would switch them up. I would change the desks, put people in islands, um, just completely change the surrounding, put people beside people they weren't sitting beside before, and things like that. And that that created an abrupt change. We'd even get go so far as repaint the office and completely trash anything that was just laying around that wasn't important, um, to the point where if something was laying around it wasn't important, I would throw it away either way without asking. So that was sort of like, okay, this is changing. But then I would soften up, right? Because at that point, they've adopted this change moving forward. As a team, we moved the office. As a team, we painted the office. As a team, we cleaned the the office. That created what? That created a seed for the new culture. And culture follows action. That's one of my sayings that I've coined for years. So if I'm not taking action, then my culture is not going to change, right? So if you apply that to your personal life, to what TM was talking about, when it comes to change, what's the abrupt action you're going to take to facilitate that change? What's the abrupt action you're going to take? A new habit. You have to use discipline to start a habit because once you have discipline, it turns into a habit, which turns into a routine, which turns into your life. And if you ask someone like Brian Benstock, for instance, what a routine is of his, I know one of them is getting healthy and staying healthy in the gym. That's just something he does every day. He probably doesn't even think about it anymore, right? I'm, I'm the same way. I actually went to the gym this morning and went home. I was like, was I even at the gym? Because I just go automatically now. So this is this uh, that's something that struck me as, as quite heavy uh, because back in my days when I was doing business turnaround physically where I would actually take over the business, turn it around, sell it, or sell my shares back out in three to six months, that's what I did. And you know what? I did it without firing anybody. And that's the key part there. How do you, how do, you do that? How do you take a team that was losing and turn them into winners without firing anybody and increasing the revenue and increasing the margins and lowering the costs without cutting into wages or other important, uh, you know, cost sections. You know, the, you know, you were talking about P and LTM. That was something that I studied hard, like a Bible, because I wanted to ensure that we were only saving where we could save and not where we, where, where it would cut into the culture of the business. You know, it's some, something simple like the, the water, uh, the water jug in the uh, water dispenser in the office, you know, the, the owners of the company were like, Hey, we need to get rid of that. That's extra cost. And I said, uh, no, <laughs> that's water. That's like the basics for life. Sleep and water are the two basics for life. Yeah, but they can buy their own water. And I said, yeah, they could, and we don't pay them that much anyway. So let's just give them the water. And I would fight for little things like that. But I would also change, you know, the, the, the napkins we used or whatever the things were that we used, I'd find other other possibilities. Or 
I would find a group purchase. So I would, I would call other locations and say, let's buy something together so we can get it cheaper. There's a million innovative ways how you can save money. There's a million innovative ways how you can change structure. And then this is what's going to lead you to change because people are going to adopt those new structures, adopt those new habits, turn them into routines and turn them into what your business actually is. And you can do that with your life too. And every single one of you has started a, a, uh, a new habit. Every single one of you have at one time or another uh, changed the way you do your life. And it's just something I want to, I want to put out there as a very simple step An abrupt change, which is your discipline, changing something will lead to the habit the routine and then your life being in that, in that groove, I guess you could say. Right. So, um, TM also talked about being a lagger to change. Everyone's a lagger to change at one time or another. Nobody can sit here and tell me that they're 100% innovation 100% of the time because of what we just talked about. It changes all the time. There's things that you're, you're, you want to change. Like you're out there looking like, please change this. There's other things that you're like, I never want this to change. How many of you here want your relationship to, to, to change when it's fully loving and caring? No, no one wants that to change only to get better, which is a change as well. But do you want it to change any different way? I don't think so. I, I, I know I didn't, but it was a blessing to me. It really, really was. Uh, you know, I still, I still have my issues to this day. Uh, when my life, my wife left me, it's over four months now, but the change that I accepted and the, the abrupt change that I initiated was getting with four coaches, working about four hours a day for about a month and a half straight on just me, implementing that change so that the culture within me could change as well. So that I could accept that the woman who I loved, who left me uh, in, a, in, in, in an abrupt you know, moment, that I can actually love her for who she is now and be proud of her and admire her for the strength that she's showing and finding who she really is. I couldn't do that without that abrupt change. There's no way that my culture within me would have accepted that any way, shape or form if I hadn't have done that. Right. And so when we look at ourselves and the way that we develop our lives and the way that we move forward in business or whatever we do, that abrupt change is what usually makes the big difference. You've had enough. It's done. I'm done with this. I'm done doing this or that or the other. I'm starting over. I'm doing this that or the other. And so I, I thought it was pretty powerful what you're talking about there, uh, um, TM. We could go really, really deep into that. But you also talked about changing the world. And I know right now, looking at every single one of you, and even if I don't know you, <clears throat> most of you I've spoken to, I know that every single one of you can change the world. Every single one of you. And I have zero doubt, and I'm not just saying that. Why is that? Because once again, we talk about the change, right? What kind of change do you want to facilitate? You know, when I, it's, it, it cracks me up when I talk to people like, oh, we need to save the planet and, you know, we need to uh, go green and sustainability and, you know, all this kind of stuff, which is great when we should. But then I ask them a few questions like, hey, do you recycle? And they're like, um, well, you know, my community doesn't require it. Okay. Do you turn the water off when you, uh, you know, when you're soaping up after getting wet in the shower? Well, no. Okay. What about when you brush your teeth? You turn the water off? No. Okay. Well, why don't you start there? You want to save the planet? You want to go green? Start in your own life. The only way, like TM said, the only way to change the world is to change yourself. Adopt those things. Early adopt, right? Adopt those things before you're told to adopt those things. Here in Europe, we have to, we have to um, recycle. There's bins for everything. We have no choice. And all the way down to plastic, glass, um, um, bio, what is it? Biodegradable stuff. I mean, there's like 15 trash cans out there. It's ridiculous, but 
we're forced to do it. So now we have to do it. Or you can start on your own and do it. And, and for me, it also saves a heck of a heartache. If, if I'm worried about something in the world and I want to change, why would I go out there and try to change it? And going on a demonstration might be fun and maybe I'll get some, some adrenaline out of it. But unless I change my world, I'm not going to change the world. The collective consciousness will always pick up on what you're, <clears throat> what you're thinking. Most, most of us here think we're alone in our thoughts, but we're not. You know, the thoughts that we have are projected out there for everyone to hear. Most people aren't receptive to them, but men, you know, some people are. And so when you realize that your thoughts become, okay, <laughs> maybe I should be weary of what I'm thinking, or maybe I should be paying attention more to what I'm thinking and to adjust it to the point where I'm thinking positive, I'm thinking productive, I'm thinking loving. You know, if, if you boil everything down, if you boil, hey, Linnell, how you doing? If you boil everything down, it comes from love. Everything we do. Everything we say, everything, if you boil it down, break away all of the, the whys and the what's and the how comes and all this kind of stuff, it comes from love. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that just like, if we know that we're all core, we're born out of love. I mean, we're born into love. We're born out of love. We're born through, we're born through love. It's, it's, it's incredible. And some people are saying like, okay, Stephen, you're a business guy. What the hell are you talking about? Right? Well, if I didn't love what I do, if I didn't love the people that I work with, if I didn't love the passion or, you know, the products that I have, um, then I wouldn't be good at what I do, would I? Right? Most of all, if I don't love myself, um, then how am I supposed to be loved by other people? You know, I always say that, if you know, to the degree that you love, embrace, and accept yourself is to the degree that you will be loved, embraced, and accepted by others. And when someone tries to love you, embrace you, or accept you, more than you love and embrace and accept yourself, you will push them away. You will find a reason to argue. You will find a reason to make them not want you so you can justify that you're right about not loving, embracing, accepting yourself. As hard as that sounds, I went through it. I'll never forget it. You know, my, you know I almost, I almost uh, ruined my relationship because of it. And then I realized, why am I doing this? Like, why, I, why am I pushing her away? And it was because she loved me more than I loved myself. It was, it was, it was humbling to say the, to say the least. All of this stuff I'm talking about goes back to change, right? And then the, the, the other thing that TM talked about was we're never done. I talk about this recently a lot because people ask me, dude, okay, wait a second. So you just bought a company in Switzerland for 9.5 million. You got a margin of a million out of it. Good for you. Uh, and you're started the NFT project. You have the investment fund coming up as well. It's tied to the NFT project. You have your, your books, you have your, you had your cocktail bars and your, and your, and your nightclubs and you worked for people like, you know, Andrea Bocelli or on Mick Jagger and you've done all this stuff. When's it enough? When's it over? Because people think I do this to achieve more. People think this, I do this to make more and be more. It's not. This is the natural progress of where my life is leading me through the decisions that I make and the, and the things that I receive. And believe me, I receive them. I don't go out and grab these things. I don't go out hunting and shooting down. I know if we talk to the Jocko Willinks of the world, who I know personally, by the way, so I'm not you know, talking shit about him or anything. If we talk to the Jocko Willinks of the world, you need to get up at 4 a.m. every morning because the enemy gets up at 5. You need to go out with your, 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 your weapons you know, ready loaded with your, with your trigger finger, ready, ready to roll so you could knock down anything that's in your way. I don't believe in that. I was there. I did that. I went to war. I knocked down everything in my way didn't turn out so well for me, right? It didn't turn out so well for me. Then I went into the civilian world 
And I did the same thing, knocking things down. Yeah, I, I rose to the top really, really quick, but everybody hated me because I was, a oh, you know, in English, in England, they would say I was a wanker because I didn't care about people. I only cared about the mission. I cared about making it happen. I cared about crushing it. And I absolutely crushed it, which is the only reason they, 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 they put up with my, with my attitude. But what happened? You can't sustain that. I don't care what anybody says. You cannot sustain that kind of a aggression in life, period. I crashed and burned first time in 2002. In 2002, when I crashed, in one day, and I mean in one day, I lost my wife who left me, first wife. I lost my job, um, which was a contract, a joint venture between a PLC and a, and, a, and a NASDAQ company. It was huge, making like 350K a year. And I lost my money because I had made an investment in a property that wasn't for sale and I was completely swindled. Lost everything in a day, in a day. And me as a disabled veteran with raging PTSD at the time, couldn't take it so well. That was change I didn't want. I don't know about you, but could you handle that kind of change? But it didn't take long for me to embrace it and say, you know what, actually, this is good because I hated that freaking job. I was overweight. I was unhealthy. I felt burned out. And I was like, okay, I don't have any money because I lost it. I don't have a job. I don't have a wife. What the hell am I going to do? Uh, on top of that, my wife, the day she left me, broke her back, uh, two vertebrae. And uh, so that was part of the lesson as well that I had to, you know, I didn't have to, but I took care of her for the next six months to teach her to recover and walk again. So that was, that was pretty heavy. But what happened? I sat there and I called a friend who I knew was an astrologer. And I said, Hey, do something, read my stars or do something like what the heck's going on. And she said, okay, um, you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to be presented with a few doors. And depending on what door you take, you're either going to take a whole new direction or you're going to go back to what you were doing. I was like, okay, where's the door? She goes, oh, you'll never know. You have to be able to receive it. I was like, oh, gee, what the hell is she talking about? Give me, I'm, you know, I'm a tangible guy. I mean, give me tangible you know, results. I want to know what the heck's going on. But no, no chance. So I'm, you know, sitting there, and then I had some friends over um, one day, and like just talking, like, hey, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do, and that kind of stuff. And this was in uh, again 2002, uh, December, and they 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 saw a shoebox on the top of my computer. Uh, and on my computer, I had these little bar tabs of when I had my cocktail bars. And I would write my thoughts down about the war in Iraq when the time was, you know, when there was no one in the, in the, in the bar, which was in the beginning very often. And they pulled it down. They're like, oh, my gosh, man, you need to write a book. And I was like, hey, who the heck's going to read my book? I'm 36 or whatever the hell I was at that time. And they said, just just, just write something. So I, all right, whatever. So I wrote 10 pages. I sent it to six publishers. One publisher came back, which was actually in Berlin where I was living at the time. I was like 20 minutes away from my house. I'm like, oh, okay, we like what you what you have to say. We're going to send a um, journalist over to interview you for the Berliner Zeitung, which is a Berliner newspaper, which is the largest newspaper in circulation there in Berlin and in Germany. It's pretty big too. And this guy comes over, Frank Nordhausen. He comes over and he's like, he's looking at me. He's like, look, I have to be honest with you. I have no idea why I'm here because you're 36 years old. What the hell do you know? know and i was like well we'll see let's sit down let's talk after 20 minutes the guy's jaw was on the floor he was crying and he said okay um let's go and dig into this so we spent six hours talking and he, he wrote an article came out a couple days later 
and it was on the third page. Anyone who knows newspapers, third page is better than the better than the front page, if you ask me. And the entire page it said Sergeant Coon's Private War. And that newspaper came out the day the war started in 2003 in Iraq. So you can imagine the fanfare that I got, the attention that I got, to the point where I was doing international TV. The very next day, I was on a live crisis TV show with the two biggest talk shows uh, in Germany, sitting with the ambassador to Germany, the ambassador to England, Sir Peter Ustinov, and a whole bunch of other people. And when it came to the questions, everyone looked at me because no one else had been in a war. No one else had been through what I'd been through. And so they kept referring to me. I talked to Mr. Kuhn, talked to Mr. Kuhn. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit, man. Like, I'm like completely imposter syndrome. Like, I'm just some dude, you know, uh, who was thinking about writing a book. And here I sit on the national stage with 15 million live viewers. It was it was daunting, but man, did I embrace it. And I absolutely loved it. And that turned into a year-long gig on, I was on TV every single day for a year. I was, I even did MTV VJ for country music in Germany, wearing some cheesy leather jacket with, with tassels on it. It was crazy. I did live TV. I did recorded TV. I even got some acting gigs out of it. Um, I, newspapers, magazines, everything. So what I'm trying to say here is that that only happened because of the crash that I had. So I started to realize, wait a second. Um, Every time something bad happens, it's like something good happens afterwards. It's got to be that way somehow, right? Like peaks and valleys, they say. But I didn't learn. Didn't learn my lesson yet. So I kept going. And I ended up back at the same company I was at before running the European operations. And not, not the international. And I climbed back up that ladder again as a, as a contractor. I, I've, I've been in self-employed since 1996. And I've, I don't take jobs. I take contracts. Um. And I do the same thing. I build it up. And I start, we, we start producing films in America. My, my, my brother and I had a mortgage charter um, back in 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and we were really doing some... Anyone who's in the mortgage business back then knows of the one doc, of the non-docs, which is the one-page uh, mortgage uh, uh, application that where everyone got approved, no matter if you earn money or not. And there was no proof of funds or anything. It was just straight up, everyone got a mortgage. And we were forced to do that through the charter. So we were making big money. So we decided to start producing films. So we were literally, you know, sitting in Nobu, you know, there's Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel sitting across from us and talking to Tarantino and Lawrence Bender. And, you know, we discovered a way to finance films that no one had ever done before. And that was leveraging, um, leveraging um, land and real estate against loans from the bank, investment from the bank. Uh, and it was, it was crazy. So anyway, an article came out in the New York Post that the twins, because my brother's a twin, are in New York and in LA doing this new financing of this of this, this new finance model. And we had like the Israeli discount bank and all of these investment banks coming to us saying, hey, let's let's do business. It, it was incredible. Out of nowhere. Again, there I was, right? In the limelight. Really, I I should have kept my head about me, but I didn't. You know, we started renting limos and going from Philly to New York because we, we were living in Philly or my brother was living in Philly. And I was going back and forth between Berlin and New York and L.A. doing the co-production in, in, in Germany. Um, and uh, the CGI was in Belgium because the computer graphic imaging, you know, it's, it's all it's all about tax credits. Anyway, so guess what happens in the end of 2007? Everyone knows about the Lehman Brothers crash, right? Well, we were all involved in that. So, again, I lost everything. And I mean 
everything to the point that I was homeless within a couple of days. Um, my brother scrounged his way out of it and recovered. He's now the head of wealth management at Wells Fargo Northeast for the, for the United States, always in the president's club. He's always, uh, you know, top two producers in, a, in, in all of America for the last 10 years straight. But I was, <laughs> I didn't recover. And when I was homeless, I was sitting there going, okay, Stephen, you know that something amazing is coming because now you're at the, your lowest point. So there's the only way is up. The only way is up. Remember that song? And uh, I ended up, um, <laughs> Jesus, extending my homelessness. So I had a job offer and I was like, no, no, it's okay. Um, no one knew I was homeless, by the way. I had a BMW, I had sold it and I bought a smart car. And that smart car was my, my storage, I guess you could say. My apartment I still had, but I rented it out, right? Because I didn't have any money. And so I had, you know, like two, 200 bucks a month or something. And plus a little bit of uh, social security or social welfare money that I was getting, which was like, I don't know, 400 bucks. And so I would still wear my nice slacks and a shirt or maybe a suit when I go to meetings or whatever, just talking to people. And what happened in that time was really interesting because I didn't have anywhere to sleep and I couldn't stay in that car because it was too small. I went and I decided to visit everyone I ever met and knew in Berlin, sometimes in Hamburg. So I started making the rounds. Every single ex-girlfriend I had, and there was quite a few at the time. Um, well, I guess there's still exes, but uh, there was quite a few. Every single girlfriend, every single acquaintance that I had that was sort of cool that we hit it off. And I started visiting these people, and I realized I've never done this before. Even when I go visit friends, I'm already thinking about leaving because of my next schedule thing, and I need to do this, that, and the other. But I didn't have to leave. And almost every single night, I'd crash on their sofa. Sometimes with the ex-girlfriends, I'd you know, get lucky. But it was like, it was this amazing situation where I had time to enjoy the world around me and to really get to know all of these people. And that, that changed my life forever. And I said, I never want to go back to that hustling and grinding, you know, head to the grindstone. Because I realized when my head's to the grindstone, I don't see what's left, right, left and right of me. I don't even see what's in front of me. And you know what's there? Luck. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. Coincidence? New doors, new opportunities, new people, love, compassion, excitement, adventure. Why would I miss all that? Because I want to do one thing that I actually think is the only way. And we all know that's BS. Nobody here is the absolute authority on, 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 on everything. So after that, I changed my ways. I got back into the club, the, the, the nightclub business. I got the shit beat out of me by the mafia because I wouldn't listen to them. I wouldn't pay him money. And then finally I had to because they separated my retina, broke my nose, ribs, ankle, uh, beat the crap out of me. Uh, and the cops came. I'll never forget. The cops came like, do you want to press charges? And one of the mafia guys came and told the police officer to F off. And they did. <laughs> so I was like, I guess I'm not pressing charges. <laughs> and uh, because of that, I didn't press charges. Uh, I became well-respected in, uh, in the Berlin nightclub scene, if you will. But I still had to pay him. Anyway, long story short, 
most of you know what happened after that uh, or before that. I had uh, the suicide attempt and I went to a monastery in, Aus in Austria, in the Austrian mountains for eight months to recover. Uh, it was involuntary, so to say. Uh, and that's where I, I became the spiritual side of Stephen. And then I went back into the corporate world, but as a, as a spiritual Stephen. And I implemented all of the, the things that I was talking about before in the very beginning of abrupt change and embracing the team and, and investing in their mission and vision, in their personal mission and vision, and trying to align that with the company's mission and vision. And then the book came out, right? So years later, the book came out, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. That's the book. And that book is exactly a map roadmap to what I just explained and a lot more and how you can unleash your own personal humble alpha in your own standards, in your own ways, and come up with your own operating system, which I now have. Because once you have an operating system and you know how you function and where you come from, then it's it's life is much easier and more grand. That book, as many of you know, has been picked up by by um, um, Forbes School of Business and Management, Business and Technology, and Harvard and Stanford are now bidding on it as well. They actually want the humble alpha book, which is now a course a college degree, a college uh, um, uh, accredited uh, course, Harvard and Stanford now want it. How in the hell did that happen from this knucklehead, right? So this guy who grew up in Pennsylvania in a mobile home and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, how did it happen? I set the intention. We want to reach a billion people. Simple. How that's going to happen? I have no idea. And I don't even care how it's going to happen because I know I'm certain about it and we're going to do it. And that's all that matters. And again, how did that happen? Abrupt change. How to have an abrupt change, right? We ended a lot of what we were doing, started something new. We did that through personal sacrifice, through uh, personal sort of discipline. And then, of course, we come to present day where my, my wife left me four months ago. And that was the biggest break that I have. But and since then, I, I can't tell you how productive, how incredibly open I am to the world around me how many relationships are blooming and exploding. And also on the other side, this is funny, change that I wouldn't necessarily have welcomed before, like friends of long times don't like the new me, right? They don't like it. They want me to be like I used to be. Well, sorry. You know, if you're a friend, you're going to accept me as I am, right? Tell me if I'm wrong and I'll gladly accept it. You know, but that's, that's sort of where I'm at today. And because I like doing these sessions, um, intuitively, you know, I, I, I spoke to Jan before I, I, Jan and I are sort of clubhouse friends. <clears throat> I really respect the heck out of her. I love how she articulates her message and it's so clear. And I wrote her, I said, any suggestions for what to talk about today? Because, uh, I like doing this intuitively. Sometimes I'll plan very rarely. Sometimes I'll have an interview, but most of the time it's just me sitting here on the, on the breakfast table drinking my latte macchiato, uh, talking to you guys. And that's for me, that's the joy of this whole room, right? Just getting to chill out with you guys and listening to everything. Sure. I could whip out the 10 steps of or the three of this or the five of that or whatever. You know, I'm pretty successful at what I do. The NFT is an, is an, another example of how an idea turned into reality within four days and how that um, four months later is now launching, uh, into a, you know, a multi-million dollar project that what's going to affect the veterans worldwide eventually, but now in the beginning, um, it's, 
it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. We have 100 nonprofits that we're we're, we're working with. We're building up to that where we're going to drop profits into that every single NFT that's acquired. We're going to have veteran healing centers on the metaverse as well in, in in real space. And you know what? Because we got into the blockchain, because we took that chance of going into like uh, TM said early adoption. Uh, some of you wouldn't consider it early, but it was early for us. Um, we've now I've now seen and I had an epiphany that I would have never be able to do this with our have humble alpha veteran empowerment system without the blockchain. Why? Because imagine every month making revenue, taking out a percentage of that, and then sending 100 different checks to 100 different organizations every single month. Oh my Lord, talk about an administrative nightmare. Well, in the blockchain, you program it one time in, in, into the smart ledger and it's done forever. You never have to touch it again. So it's all automated. And when I realized that, oh my gosh, we can do that with the healing centers. We can do that with the routine. We can do that with the trips. We can do that with the, you know, the Peru trips, which by the way, there are, our Peru trip from 6 to uh, 13 May is almost booked out. We have four slots left. If you want to come, let us know. But all of this is based around change. It never stops. Never once in my life did I sit there and go, man, I made it. I'm done. And it doesn't mean I want more. It doesn't mean I have to get bigger and, and larger and richer. It doesn't mean that. It only means that this is the path that, I, that I'm receiving in front of me. Everyone says you got to cut your own path. I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't, I, I just receive what's in front of me. I take, I take imperfect action, creating as I go with the world around me, what we call co-creation. And imperfect action means ask for help, reach out to people who've been there, been there and done that, find out what their advice is, start, start moving and just making it happen. As I said before, if you're sitting in a car and you're not moving, you're going to see less than if you're moving. So keep moving, take imperfect action and make it happen. Right. And everything that we do, I'm going to open this up for questions. I want to do 30 minutes Q and a. So if you have any questions or comments, please let's make it about this. I think it's very impactful what, what TM talked about today. And I'm glad I could hang on to that as well. I want to do 30 minutes of Q and a, which is rare, but I want to hear from everybody here. But the first person I want to hear from, you know, you know, who I'm going, you know, who I'm going to, right? Jan, let's hear it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. I wish everyone, uh, everyone, uh, you know, uh, could have heard from the very start. Um, and if you have just joined us, um, remember to catch the entire share on replay. Uh, Stephen, I have two questions for you, actually. Um, what's an amazing share? And, uh, you know, um, you know, I wish that every day was Tuesday so we can have a whole hour of you. I have two questions. So the first one is really, I think, you know, there are a lot of people who have come through your life, right? And all these places that you have been or the project that you have done, the ups and downs, it's just really dramatic. And, uh, was, you know, was there ever a, a defining moment you think of, you know, a moment that you always go back to, uh, you know, to draw strength from? You know, I was just wondering what that defining moment would be if there was one. And then the other question was actually quite interesting at the very start, you mentioned about, you know, um, there was an example you gave about the change that you implemented after taking over a particular business. And you said that, um, you know, you've decided to keep all the staff and change the other things. So I was just wondering what made you want to do that? You know, what, what made you want to keep all the staff? You know, was it like an embedded condition that came with the deal? Or, you know, how did you reach that conclusion? Um, yeah, these are the two questions, if I may. Thank you. Wow, that's crazy. That's some great questions, John. See what I mean? My goodness. Okay, so check it out. The first um, defining moment in my life, I think the most, most ever defining moment in my life, there's plenty of them. 
Um, and mo most of you know the Iraqi girl in Iraq that I met, the little eight-year-old. That was a defining moment for me. But I think the one, the shift, the major, major shift defining in my moment was when I went to the monastery in Austria where I was forced to be alone, um, not, not talk to anybody. I left a life of, of 24 hours, 24-7 laptop, two, two cell phones, to having no cell phone, no laptop, no access to the outside world, just me. And it took about two weeks for me to calm down uh, and stop pounding my head against the, the, the wall. And then I realized that, man, you know, like this is this is actually what it's all about. This is, this, you know, without me, there is no world around me. And that doesn't that that means my world. That doesn't mean your world. Right. So what am I worried about on the outside if I can't even take care of the inside? And that's when it all shifted for me. And then when I went, when I went back into business, um, I actually took over a team in Budapest, which is where I met my wife. The very day I walked into that business very first day in that business, the very first person I saw was that woman. And I said, that's my guys. And 13 years later, we separated, but it was, a, it was an amazing 13 years. And I, I implemented in that business, we had a daily huddle at 1400, uh, sorry, 2 p.m. And it was called the huddle because everyone got together and we actually physically had our arms around each other. Um, some of the teams, it was impossible because we had up to 75 people, but in Budapest, it was, I think it was 27. And we do a huddle. And everyone would have their five, five, you know, five minutes of glory to talk about their their, their section or their area, you know, the, the leaders. And then we would have a credo moment, where anyone from the team had it was it was sectioned off. So if we had 24 people, every 24 days you were up to perform the credo moment. And that credo moment could be anything: learning, it could be an exercise, it could be one of the things we would do. For instance, one person would do is, okay, everybody, you're going to go out into the street and into the business, and we're going to talk to somebody you've never talked to before, and just listen, and then give them a compliment about whatever they talked about, and come back and tell us what you experienced. And, you know, just that alone, going out and doing that, that was like a spiritual awareness of what's going on around us. Or, you know, I would do, when it was my turn, I would do um, Tai Chi or Qigong with them and show them how to channel energy. And here I am, I'm a corporate head, and I'm doing this. But I was in a, it was a, it was a chain of health clubs, 87 locations, right? Um, I think it's seven countries or nine countries. Uh, and I was this big head honcho and there I was doing Tai Chi with everybody. And I'll never forget the CEO saw this one day. He was in one of the meetings. It was in German. He didn't understand anything, but he saw the reaction of the staff and he saw that everyone was in that meeting from the cleaning crew who were contractors all the way up to any head of any part of the company that was in the, in that location at that time. And he asked me, he said, can you implement this across the entire company, all 87 locations? So if that wasn't a defining moment from the time that I came from the, from the monastery and I could change the entire company of a listed company, a PLC from the UK, because of the power and the strength that I had from within that I learned about myself when I was in the monastery. So I think that's probably the most defining moment. And, and I, I carry it to this day. I have no, I'll stand on stage in front of three, 3,000 business people and I'll talk spirituality and they, they, they won't even bat an eye because they see that I've, it's completely embedded. I'm not trying to impress anybody or do anything, do anything, you know, to, to look good. I'm just, that's just who I am. Be able to embrace my authenticity through that experience I had in the monastery is key. So yeah, pretty amazing. So when I went into these companies for your second question, when I went into these companies, if you want to know the truth, <laughs> the reason I didn't want to fire anybody is because that's what everybody else did, right? Management of change, change management, right? Or management of change is all about cutting the, cutting the lower 10%, smashing the costs, right? And making everybody starve and struggle. And I was like, no, there's another way. I can empower these people 
to see what their really what their real value is and what their personal value is that can be contributed to the company that can lead to the mission and vision of that company that we don't have to have all the same mindset we don't have to be all the same kind of people and i know it sounds simple and boring but if you think about if you've ever worked in a corporate how many of you felt like a, a box being checked right so i i just i just wanted to be different and then when i realized that not only did they appreciate it they embraced it and enjoyed it and became uber productive and were so hell-bent on being successful for the team not for me but for the team and the vision that we had as a team that it was it was my stand to after that it was my it was my go-to after that it was my standard we had to do that in every business i was in so yeah that's that's where i, I basically the, the motivation was no one else does it so i want to be different and i want to do it and just to prove to myself hold myself accountable to know that I can do it. And I did it. And there we go. So <laughs> hope that helps. <laughs> That's incredible because, you know, obviously, you know, I come from a world where 10% gets, um, we yep. call it rift, gets rift every yep. single year. So um, that was just really shocking what you shared. So thank you so much. Um, um, I think it's really refreshing. Thanks. Thank you. It's always refreshing to hear from you too. Awesome. All right, let's hear it. Who else has a question or comment? Hey, Stephen, I got a question. This is Mario over here. Hey Mario, how you doing, brother? Fantastic. So, um, so as a veteran of myself, uh, you know, who's gone down a lot of different paths, um, you know, hearing your story, especially about Austria, what was the one thing, or maybe a few things, like that kept you kind of going? Kept me going. Uh, you know, yeah. sometimes I, I don't know, Mario. You know, sometimes I, I, I don't know how I kept going, and even to this day, sometimes, you know, I had. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, when my wife left me, I was suicidal again. You know, that PTSD flares up real quick. And this time what kept me going was my kids, obviously. Um, but before I had kids, you know, I, you know, I always felt like there's a freaking reason that I'm here, man. There, there, like there's a reason that I'm on this planet and this projected world and this projected body that I'm in as a spirit. There's a reason I'm here. What freaking reason? I think. I think my my anger at the universe was so large. I'm like, look, man, you're not going to get rid of me until you tell me what I'm here for. <laughs> you know, I feel like I feel like if I've never been asked that question, Mario. So thank you. So I'm, I'm articulating this as I go, but I feel like that was it. You know, I feel like I feel like that. Yeah, that's probably the reason why I was like, no, man, there's there's a reason I'm here. I'm going to find out what that is. Have I found it yet? Partially. Is it ever going to be done? Probably not. But I'm working on it, and it's a great feeling, and I love it. So yeah, I think that's that's the reason, brother. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I as a vet, you know, like I said, I've had a lot of these conversations with a lot of people in a similar situation. So for me, and you know, who's been there myself, you know, it's always interesting to hear everyone's different reasons. Yeah, for sure. There, you know, leaves clues. There's a lot of clues that are left. There we go, man. There we go. I love it. All right. Anybody else? I have a buddy. All right, go ahead. Whoever that was, there was three people. So this is do it one, two, three. Whoever that was. Okay, I'm um, gonna go. Ladies, <laughs> ladies first. Ladies, you ladies. go first. You okay, ladies first. Okay, so ladies, three. ladies first, and then the British accent. Okay, <laughs> so the ladies is Samira from Paris. Uh oh. Steven. Hello. Uh -oh. <laughs> How are you? So right. I just wanted maybe this is the right time I jump in after Mario because when you said like I don't know how I do it, but first thing between what said TM to this morning is like, we are in general people is make it happen, watch it happen, 
or say, oh my God, what happened? These are the tri three type of people that are in this world. So early adapter or people who are following, this is just the way he's gonna be. But why I wanna do the a connection between what I wanted to say and what uh, you said, I don't know. Yes, you do know, because it is important also to know ourselves. I told the other day, and we know we talked about it, Stephen, when you know why are you on this earth and you understand your inner being, how are you wired? Why are you doing what you're doing? This is something very, very important. I know the generally Occidental don't go there, but spirituality is not just, oh, the spirit and so on. It's just really diving the inside of our numbers, of our name, what it means. Everything has a reason for why we're here. I wish one day everyone could really dig on that and now know more about who we are and what are we doing in this earth, what is everything standing? We always talk about numbers, but I said the numbers in numerology is a different thing. I don't want to go back to it, but it's really important because the more we dig on that, the more we align, the better we're going to do. And then we know each other more. And this is how we can really be a better person and a better version. Just wanted to jump in just to say, you do know Stephen, but maybe not everyone, but knowing and sometimes to know and not to do is not to know. So I just wanted to jump in and get back to that uh, part of knowing yourself from the inner self. Thank yes, you. And, yes, indeed, Samira. I mean, what, what you wrote me and what the reading was all about, I mean, it, it really did empower me. And that's some, sometimes we just need to hear it. You know what I mean? Sometimes we need to hear it. We think it, we may believe it halfway, but when we see it written down, it's like, well, actually that is who I am. <clears throat> so yeah, you know, there's, you know, I was always referring to the or, earlier in my life when I didn't know, um, and now I know pretty well. Um, at least what the capabilities are and what my impact's going to be and why. So yeah, it's it's huge, it's massive what you're talking about there. Thank you so much. And now the British accent, whoever that is, sorry. Hey dude, it's me. We had a lovely conversation. There he is. Instagram. Hey bro, I told you I'll be here. Yeah. Awesome. Man. <laughs> How's it going, brother? All right. What do you think, man? What did you get anything to add to the conversation? Dude, but just oh, by the dude. way, if, if you don't know, if you don't know who Dale is, you guys got to hook up. Check out his Instagram channel. This guy has me laughing, and he's a he's a he's a specialist for kids, coaching kids. And we had a great conversation. I mean, an amazing conversation, which might even lead to a book. Well, dude, I hope it does. I'm I'm literally about seventy five percent through Humble Alpha, and awesome. dude, it's it, it is genuinely awesome. What what. I put a lot of emphasis on my business. I'm helping kids. And for me, that is a calling. That's that's a necessity for me. And do you know what I was doing? I didn't know I was not being a humble alpha here. I thought I was because I was giving service. I was giving back to the world. I was helping kids thrive, become confident, become resilient, help themselves show up powerfully, never look down, shoulders back, and just own their day when they own themselves. And I was actually forgetting my relationship. And dude to be a humble alpha i i, I kind of neglected that so what i'm doing now I've, I've got a certain amount of gas in my tank and i've got a stove and i'm making sure that i spread it evenly so for you to say for, for to listen to the guys by the way if you haven't downloaded it on audible or if you haven't read the book you, you're missing out you're genuinely missing out this book i haven't stopped listening to it. i've listened to it at the gym um, and <laughs> a bit hypocritical i probably 
put my relationship on hold so I can listen to this book, Stephen. <laughs> but it's, it's so useful. It's given me so many things, especially the macro and the meso cycles. I've had a plan and, and, and become a winner. Dude, it's, it's phenomenal. I just want to give you some, some credit, bro, because it's absolutely amazing. And I'll be honoured to do a humble alpha for kids. That'll be absolutely phenomenal. Yes, you heard it here first. Humble Alpha for Kids. Oh my gosh, oh, I about that. Awesome. All right, good stuff. Dan. All right, Steve. Yes. Stephen, this is this is Peter. If you can hear me well, I got um, you. Just want to continue this conversation and change, right? Um, the reality is that uh, in every organization, there needs to be a, a change agent, right? So that's the one that really recognizes that they're that change must happen in, in order for growth to happen. But probably what's most important is that in that organization, we find that one person that embraces change because that is the person who people will respect and follow. Um, so often the change agent is not the one that people follow, just the one that follows the, first, the, the change agent, so the first follower. So, you know, that's what I try to do when I go to my, my talk to my, uh, my GMs is, you know, talk about a new idea, what's going to happen, what needs to happen, and get that one person who seemingly really loves the idea and yet his peers to buy into it and follow him along along the way so that this, this change can be most effective. So I just wanted to share that this morning. This is Peter. Yeah, thanks, Peter. That's, uh, that's absolutely true. And there's, uh, you know, the leader of the company isn't always always the, the, the one with the title, right? You know, and then the, the leader of that change isn't always the one with that title. You're exactly right. And uh, there's plenty of uh, situations where you see that, for instance, in football teams, you know, the captain uh, isn't necessarily always the captain or in, in other sports. Uh, yes, they have the title and the things, but you see who who's on the field or on the court that actually leads the game. Um, and that that comes from something that you can't put in place with just a structure that comes from belief in oneself, certainty, and the ability to deploy your, your, your genius in the world around you. Uh, and once you have that certainty, you don't do it. You don't do it to impress. You don't do it to get a job. You don't do it to get promoted. You do it because it's the right thing to do, and that's who you are. And, and, when, and anyone who realizes who they are through the identity, purpose, and certainty phase of our book will see that their life changes because they end up embracing who they are and, and deploying their genius in the world around them in any given situation. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's the most powerful thing you can do. If you ask me, it's the most powerful thing you can do is to know who you are and not what you do and what your title is. And, you know, you ask somebody, what do you do? I, if I ask somebody, who are you? They go, I'm, I'm the CEO. Nope, sorry. Who are you? Like, well, that's, that's what you do. That's your job. Well, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Well, that's part of your job, too. That's not who you are. That's one of your tasks, right, uh, through marriage or, or birth. And, like, what do you mean, who am I? Like, what, what, what do you mean? Well, until you know who you are, how are you going to deploy that genius? Until you know your operating system, how are you going to build upon it? And so we always talk about the Humble Alpha operating system, which is basically like a hard drive on your computer. It just runs. No, not a hard drive. It's your operating system on your computer. It just runs. You don't think about it. It happens. But if you had to articulate it, you'd have to research it and find out how it runs. And then you know how it runs. And then when there was a problem, you could fix that problem because you know how it runs. But if you don't know how your life runs, you don't know what your operating system is for your life. How are you going to fix stuff? What happens is you start... Poking and hoping is what we say, right? Go out and keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. But if you have a foundation from which you can work, a foundation from which you can build, well, then that that changes everything. So, um, yeah, thanks, Peter. That was a that was a nice touch. Thank you so much. Who else we got? Bring it on. We got ten minutes. Come on now, shout it out. 
Nobody else? Nobody else? Um, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. All right, go ahead. Yes, my question is, um, there's a thin line between the humble alpha and the ego alpha. What, what intentional practices do you do every day to um, keep you in the humble alpha? Um, area. Yeah. What keeps you there? Is, what, is that your question? Because you cut out. It's, it's so easy to to, to be. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm. You're cutting out. I'm. I, I can't. I, I can't hear you. Unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you hear me now. Is everyone else having that problem, or is it just me? No, I can't hear. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The matrix has taken. The matrix has you, Bill. Oh my! Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay, I was asking the question. There's always a battle within us between the humble and the ego. My question to you is, what keeps you in the humble alpha? Yeah. Because we I'm, always well, have the ego. We always have the ego within us fighting. Well, if you believe that, that's exactly what you have. If you believe that you have the evil in you, then you have the evil in you. You know, the, the universe is always on your side. If you no, say the evil. evil. Not the evil, ego, ego. The alpha the ego. Ego, yeah, yeah. Ego, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the healthy ego. The, the way to stay in touch is, we, we talk about it in the book, it's called HIT. Honesty, integrity, transparency, honesty with yourself while you do say and think like you do. And then the transparency is how you step into the world with that honesty, That's which is then comes into your ongoing reputation. The byproduct of that is integrity. Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do, not doing what you say you're not going to do. And if you screw up, apologize and make it better. That's how you stay in line. That's how you stay humble. You're honest with yourself. And I mean really honest. Like, why am I looking at this guy over here and he's upsetting me? I don't even know who he is. Why? Because he's mirroring something in you that you don't like about yourself. The world is our mirror friends. Well, the world is the mirror of our energy. The world is the mirror of our power. Simple as that. If you want to change the world around you, change your energy inside of you. It's going to happen. So staying humble, honesty, integrity, and transparency. All right. And then Adam, did you come up to speak? Steven, what's going on, brother? How are you, my man? I am, I am living every day like a dream, man. It's freaking spectacular. How are you? Wow. I love it, man. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so, uh, you know, I got a question for you, man. It's not something that you and I talked about when we talked on the phone, but I wanted to put it in your ear and, and just and just ask the question. The, the concept of balance between work and family is something that comes up a lot for a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people that are in, um, in startups. And, uh, and I never – I personally don't ever believe that there's a real balance it's a matter of prioritization but i wanted to ask you how do you how do you set your priorities between work and family and how do you cut your time away to make certain that you can invest in both sides as you want yeah i love it well i don't believe in balance either i believe in integration um you know i don't think you know if, if we look at brian hess used to say this if you look on a bike if you're riding a bike two wheels if you're standing still you're going to fall over right so you got to keep moving and so you have to almost integrate yourself into a, being a part of that bike because when you turn corners or, or you, you don't turn the wheel, you lean, just like riding a motorcycle, you lean into it, right? So you're integrated within the momentum of the entire process. And so I believe in, 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 in integration in your family life. We're one person, man. You know, it's like we can't, I can't split myself. I'm, I hopefully, you know, everyone here is the same person to work as they are at home. And that's one of the lit, litmus tests that we have in the book 
is if you go to your office and your and your wife or your partner is uh, a fly on the wall, will they recognize who you are? And vice versa, if you're at home in your dining room, will one of your staff members on a fly on the wall recognize who you are? You know, that's that's a great litmus test for that. But um, the integration is all about that. And how do I set time? I schedule, man. Like I'm a hardcore schedule. You know, listen to, you know, our friends on here um, that, that that talk about this all the time is is time management, man. You know, it's it's not something that um, I just sort of let go. I have to have time. I schedule when I pick up my kids, when I drop on my kids, when I'm with my kids, I don't schedule as much with when I'm with my kids um, and ensure that I have an ample amount of time. And of course, uh, with the relationships that I had, you know, I, I, one of the things that I learned uh, when my wife left me was um, I was pretty sure I was integrated and doing well and having enough time for everybody. And apparently I wasn't. So asking for feedback is one of the most important things. And it's got to be neutral and, and, and true feedback and not emotional feedback because of what you want and what they want. And so we, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we, we, my wife and I, to that point, my wife and I came up with a, a, a weekly letter grade. So every week we have a conversation. We give each other a weekly letter grade of how we're showing up as a husband or wife or how we're showing up as a mom or dad with our new daughter. And, uh, it's, and it's taken with, it's taken where you simply have to receive it. You're not allowed to give any feedback to what's presented. And so it's just about the other's perception. It's an opportunity to kind of see how, how the world or your wife or, you know, my wife is perceiving me in the moment, which is really good to that point. I, I, that's a, that's something that's really helped us a lot, stay connected and continue to grow as the startup continues to drive forward. All right. Awesome, brother. Appreciate that, man. Good. Great. Yeah, thanks, great, man. Feedback. great feedback. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for stopping by. We got five minutes left. Come on, let's hear it. What do you got? Come on, let's get some rapid fire going on here. Popcorn, they call it. What do you call it? Hey, Stephen, it's Marvin. I'd love to uh, chime in if we have time. Marvin, you have time. Smash. <laughs> How you doing, man? You good? <laughs> Marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, great, great segment. It's a really, really good conversation. Um, I just wanted to sort of follow up on, on um, Adam's share because, I, it, ironically, he kind of asked the question that I wanted to um, uh, uh, sort of throw at you. But as a follow-up to that, one of the things, and I suppose I'm, I'm, this is always front of mind for me because I'm always sort of considering um, the, the idea of building out roadmaps on a business level, but also um, building out a roadmap to success for your life as well. Do you know what I mean? Your family, yes. your, your friends, and so on and so forth. That's um, it's something I talk about a lot. So off the back of um, Adam's share, what would you say are three to five sort of core things that you implement in order to make sure that um you know you achieve that success not necessarily on the business side because i think it's it's easier sometimes to 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 structure things on the business side because there's not there's less emotion there but what are three to five things that you've implemented and you you really uh, are disciplined that you're doing um on uh, in terms of your life roadmap yeah, great, great, great question. Uh, you know, it's in the book, honestly. Um, one thing that's not in the book is about health and fitness, but let me get to the book first is, you know, we look at our life as a life enterprise. Just like a business enterprise, you know, it has a CEO and that's you, right? So that CEO has, reports to two, two, two sets of people, the board of directors, which is your family, and reports to the share, shareholders, stakeholders, which is the world around you, right? And how does a CEO step up to a board of directors? How does a CEO step up to the shareholders and, and, and stakeholders as a servant leader, right? As a provider, as a problem solver who adds value. That's the number one thing right there. And if you want to deepen that, 
in your in your relationships around you. We call it investing in relational capital, guaranteed return. Law of reciprocity guarantees a return on your investment of, of relational capital. And that, that means diving in, helping people for no reason whatsoever, with no expectation of any specific outcome, but just be there to add value. Right? And when you do that, you create radiant value. And my life mission is to create radiant value in order to lift others to a higher frequency. And I know that. And that's what I do everywhere I go. And if I forget it, I can literally, I'm in my car, I can flip down my visor and it's right there on my visor. I've written it there. Creating radiant value to elevate others to a higher frequency. Right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is, I think, um, you know, there's more to go with that. There's, um, you know, creating space. Um, creating spaces, showing up wholly and fully for the person or the people in front of you with no preconceived notions or cookie cutter solutions and no expectation of an outcome, focusing on the only thing that you control, and that is the intention of adding value by solving problems. That's in the book as well. But the one thing that I notice if I reflect, and I've been doing this recently a lot since my life changed so much, is that the times in my life where I had the best relations, the most peak relationship, the most peak in business, the most peak in, 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 my, in my joy and my happiness was when I was in the best shape uh, ever. So if I look when I was in the worst shape, that was the worst time in my life. When I was in the best shape, it was the best time in my life. And yes, there's ups and downs. So for me, it's imperative that healthy body, healthy mind, right? Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, bodybuilding every day or whatever. I'm just talking about having a routine where it keeps you healthy, fit, and going. You know, I, I get up in the morning. I don't always sprint and jump out of bed. You know, I have issues with the serotonin, cycloserin, nerve gas poisoning, and the depleted uranium, which affects my joints and my, my organs. But besides that, I still get up positive. I still get up, you know, planning my day before I even open my eyes, um, not planning, dictating my day before I open my eyes, because in the end thoughts become things. So why wouldn't I think good things? Even if you don't believe thoughts become things, just thinking good things will change your life anyway. So yeah, it's, um, those, I think they're the, they're the top ones that I could, that I could, uh, go by hit honesty, you know, honesty, integrity, transparency, creating space, life enterprise, and investing in relational capital. And that all leads to the one thing, that one equalizer that the entire world can agree upon what everybody wants. And that is what, you know, quality of life. All right. See how I ended that <laughs> one minute early. Any, any last questions for one more minute? Come on, let's hear it. Linnell, where you at? What you got? I'm right here, Stephen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Excellent segment. Thank you so much for the information you shared. I do have one question in regards to the organizations that you have decided to partner with on the Have NFT project. What was the criteria that you used in order to decide which ones would would have the check? And what is it that they believe that attracted you to that organization? I'll go ahead and mute myself out as well now. Okay, well, no, the, uh, you, you're talking about with the Have NFT, you're talking in general. With the Have, have NFT, the 100 organizations that are going to yeah. from this. Well, we're still working on that. We're still working on that. That's, that's a heck of a process. Most most nonprofits have a board of directors. Most most board of directors of, of older nonprofits are older. <laughs> and they're like, well, uh, crypto, NFT, we don't know. No, it's too sketchy. It's too dodgy for us. Uh, you know, so um, we, we it's a it's a process. We've, we have a list of, for the first uh, drop, we have a list of 25 that we're going to drop to. We haven't reached that list yet. We're at 19 um, because they have to register a MetaMask wallet in order so they could get um, uh, the, the drops because the drops happen per smart ledger in crypto. And so just getting them to do that and to understand that this is a, this is the way forward, this is where this is happening, whether we want it to or not, is proving to be very difficult. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of work to be done on that end. So we have 25 per drop. So 25 this drop, 25 next drop, and then 
the, in the, the 50 after those two drops. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing process, um, Linnell, let me tell you. It's, it's not easy. Thank God Lane's there doing it with our nonprofit architect, um, Travis Johnson, who just retired from the Navy as well. Um, and so we're, we're full on, all hands on deck. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. Love you much. Have a great day. Love you too, girl. Thank you so much. All right. That's it. That was my segment today, man. That went quick. I hope you all had got value from that. You want to, you want to chat and you need, you want something to say, or you want to join us in the have NFT movement, go ahead and click the link above and click on the link, join discord. Discord is a, a communication channel, which we use to have an intimate relationship with everyone in our, in our community. Uh, we're, we're moving and shaking. It's, we're loving it. It's a fantastic world. Make, make your world fantastic as well. And strive toward, you know, the one thing that everybody wants. And that's, as you know, quality of life. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a fantastic day. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.